Welcome to my basement, everybody, especially you, David W. Collins. You don't go by David W. Collins in regular life, though, do you? I don't. I'm just David Collins. David yeah, Collins. The, the W was something that happened when I joined the union, and they said, you know, we have a lot of David Collinses. Uh, what's your middle initial? And I was in. But, uh, yeah, just David is fine. <laughs> so professionally, we will refer to you as David W. Collins. Ah, uh, sure. All right. Yeah. There you go. Well, I've known David for a number of years. This guy is a very, very fascinating individual because he's, had a, he's got a lot of hyphens in his job title. Uh, he's worked on lots of really cool projects, had a long uh, stint at uh, LucasArts when they were busy making games internally up in, uh, in their Marin offices and also in uh, the Presidio in San Francisco. And we first met, I think, working when you were working on uh, The Force Unleashed. Uh, but you had lots and lots of relationships and connections uh, all through the Lucas family. And that, I think, has been an another big chunk of uh, your career post LucasArts. You've been able to work with Lucas on a number of really cool initiatives, hosting all kinds of awesome events. And you're, I, I know that you're headed to a Star Wars Celebration in London uh, very soon, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But you also worked at Sony on some big games. Uh, you were one of the stormtroopers in The Force Awakens. And <laughs> yeah. uh, um, you've been able to kind of sort of act because you were one of the main characters in The Force Unleashed as well. I forget the name of the character, though. I'm seeing so many it was, games. It, it was Proxy the Droid. He Proxy was the, the Droid. The, the, the droid that wanted to kill uh, Starkiller. And every chance he could, he could possibly take, he would try and kill him. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. That's awesome. So it's yeah. incredibly difficult to sum up all the things that you do. You're also a composer, <laughs> and you do sound design and audio engineering on things. I, that's yeah. pretty cool, man. You never have a dull day, I imagine. I, it, it's it's been great. I, I feel very very fortunate. And wow, thank you for that intro. I hope I can can live up to it. But yeah, we we met uh, when you were covering the Force Unleashed. And of course, uh, let me return the favor by saying you know my favorite game journalist. And I watched you know Electric Playground and and uh, Reviews on the Run. I watched I watched um, you know the show that you and Tommy did on on G four like religiously. Yeah. yeah, and. Um, and it was it, it yeah it's it was all a judgment day that's what it was yeah, yeah. and um, you know I I loved uh, watching you because I always think that you have such a great take on games and so you and I just kind of hit it off that must have been two thousand eight yeah I think it was yeah. yeah but yeah I've been very lucky to um, uh, to to basically um, be able to kind of have my my uh, hands in a lot of different <laughs> areas in game development in animation, uh, a little bit in film, and then the hosting thing came out of, honestly, it came out of uh, hosting games for LucasArts at E3 starting about 2004 with Republic Commando, right. Star Wars Republic Commando, which I was the audio lead on, and I just, as a Star Wars fan and as someone working on the games, just wanted to get out there and talk about our games, and and uh, it just turned into this whole second career, which I've been very lucky to, to enjoy, and you and I uh, saw each other at E3 last week because of that. It and, was uh, one of my favorite moments of the whole show was just to yeah. have like a, a chill sit down and a catch up with you because we did yeah. hit it off. I feel like you're my brother from another mother. And there yeah. are a few relationships that I have like that in the video game industry. But it's, it is amazing when you connect with somebody. It's like, I would love to hang out with this guy a lot more. Yeah. And yeah. we got to do that a bit at E3 this year. 
That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was really fun. We got to catch up and have lunch uh, right after EA's press conference, and um, and that was great. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a long career in in video games. I started at Lucas Arts back in two thousand. Mm-hmm. I was uh, at Skywalker Sound as an intern on their scoring stage before that. Wow! And Im- immediately started working on Star Wars games. And you know, for all all you gamers out there, I mean, that was an incredible time in the games industry because the PlayStation Two was about to launch. And once it did, you know, and then the Xbox and the GameCube and everything behind it, there was more work than, you know, could possibly be managed at the time. There was such a huge demand for compelling interactive experiences. Star Wars was blowing up all over again, just like it is now. Yeah. Um, and I was very, very busy. And uh, That was <laughs> the sweet spot, wasn't it? That era, that, that time in the, in the video game history when it was, uh, it had yeah. to be pretty fantastic production quality and values no matter you know what kind of a game it was but the budgets and the team sizes weren't so crazy that they mm-hmm. it were there were companies risking everything for one game so we had lots of experiments but they had a a production quality that was very impressive yeah it was a sustainable time i feel like but it was mm-hmm. also a time of huge change i mean you, you that was really and i think it was really spider-man that did it the first spider-man game that activision did that really kind of made everybody wake up to the movie tie-ins and then you enter that period of 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 movie tie-ins where there was a lot of dollars to be made by basically doing the movie tie-in games and ironically LucasArts wasn't doing that really at the time. Yes. They were, we, they, we were just making uh, video games, uh, cool Star Wars games that the creatives were pitching, and uh, then they would kind of, kind of go because that's how the company was historically. You know, back in the Tim Schafer days, you know, yeah. they were making boutique projects, and the the level of artistry was so high, but the risk was low. Yeah. Right, as you pointed out. Once you know you get into the late two thousands, that's when you start seeing people just losing their shirts on all kinds of stuff and you know those were those were difficult years but you know i will tell you that some of my fondest memories of game development are at lucas arts and um i wouldn't trade those years for anything i mean the 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 games that we did particularly republic commando and the force unleashed for me and the and the lego games and the monkey island games i mean those were those were just such good times man it was great well we're going to talk a little bit more about lucas arts but i want to add another hyphen and that is uh, the host of uh, some really well received and acclaimed podcasts and video casts out there uh the calm link is one of them and you've also got a brand new one right now too right or one that's pretty recent what's that one called well, I've got I've got my big podcast that I do actually is um, a podcast all about the music of John Williams called Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams, and that's Amazing. actually it's part of a yeah thanks it's it's been a great show and and the listener count just keeps going up and up and people are really responding to it, and I think it's because there's a huge hunger to have a conversation about music that isn't in the abstract and. Um, you know, actually get into more of a music appreciation area. Mm. Uh, because I feel like our, and the reason I started the show is because our, the way that we talk about music is is not very developed, mm-hmm. yet it's constantly permeating all of our entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, games and movies and, you know, the Marvel Universe, the Star Wars Universe. Um, is it because be it's not- so personal? Is it because your appreciation of music in, in its myriad forms is is really left up to the individual? Except in john williams case where it it is well, the definition that's the, of universal yeah if i was doing a you know a, a podcast maybe about Coldplay or something like that i think that you know a lot of personal taste comes into it but 
there's something about popular art that's as big as Star Wars where mm -hmm. the, the music becomes more universal, mm -hmm. but its complexity is often kind of alien to people. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, you just generally don't talk about it. You just know you like it. So to actually get in and say, you know, the way that he's weaving themes through the stories and the way that he's representing characters and making this, these alien worlds feel familiar to us um, and grounding it in story that everyone's familiar with um, has really has really been very successful, and and uh, a lot of people have reached out because of that. Yeah, um, I loved know, his stuff on Force Awakens, by the way. I loved Ray's theme and just the, the you know the minimalist kind of way that he brought us into all of that stuff was just amazing. And then you dive deeper in all the behind the scenes, and and you hear those echoes even in those sequences, and it it just gives it brings chills up your spine, man. It's amazing work. It's it's it, he does a great job and he's 84 years old, you know, yeah. and he's done over 100 movies. Um, and did he do the BFG soundtrack? He did. I just yeah. saw that and the music's amazing. That's probably all I can say about that right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't uh, haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm definitely going to go see it. I've turned into a, a real John Williams fanboy. You know, I've started collecting all of his old stuff from the 70s and you know all the stuff pre Star Wars and even pre Jaws and and. Uh, you know, he really is kind of the emotional context behind a lot of our movie greats, you know, totally. Steven George Lucas. Yeah. And and I think people are really starting to recognize that, especially this late in his life, you know, what a, a tremendous contribution he has had. And, and uh, the AFI just honored him, you know, the 44th ceremony uh, about a week ago. Yeah. And so it's it's you know it's we're in a we're in a, a a renaissance of popular culture and movies and comic book movies and Star Wars movies and mm -hmm. and you look back and you realize not only is John Williams kind of set the bar but he's still doing it yeah and you know, he's that's, been a consistent through line all the way and he's going to do Indy five and he's going to do Episode eight and, and we hope yeah. we hope yes and hopefully uh, Episode yeah. nine as well yeah love yeah. that guy okay yeah well, I, I have a great question for you then uh, you have to pick your favorite. His, your favorite score from John Williams. Pick uh, among the many babies that he's put out into the world. What's your favorite baby? Outside of Star Wars, or including a Star any Wars? of them? Well, Star Wars is the is the um, is the obvious one, right? Yeah. Um, and of those, I would have to say it's probably a toss up between. You can't beat the original, but The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. You know, the Emperor's is really the Emperor's theme for Return of the Jedi um, was great. Yeah, but uh, The Empire Strikes Back, you, you have the Imperial March. The Imperial um, March. You know, that's that was, what I mean. That period of time was just incredible, you know. And you listen to that, and then you listen to Raiders, and you listen to ET. Those were all done, you know, in the in the span of less than three years. <laughs> it's unfathomable, you know? right? Yeah, like yeah, who else could do mention, that? Yes. Yeah, not to mention he did so many other movies like Superman, and and you know, and and the, of course, you know, people. You you just do a, a list of movies, and people have no idea. There are, there are lesser known soundtracks that I really love. Um, the soundtrack for Hook is amazing, no matter what you think of the movie. The, it was great. Um, you know, and he and even lesser known stuff, you know, like the Cowboys or, or Far and Away or um, he won his first Oscar for the soundtrack to Fiddler on the Roof in 1971 by, wow. by turning that into a soundtrack. So the guy's been around for a long time. He did all of Lost in Space, he even did 20 episodes of Gilligan's Island. So if you really get deep into John Williams, <laughs> you, you, you just cannot believe that he's been doing this now since the 1950s unbelievable you know, wasn't 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 uh and I, I don't mean to compare the two because he's it's certainly not the same caliber of talent but wasn't mike post uh similarly in the 80s the tv soundtrack guy with like he did magnum pi and i'm sure he right. did, I did yeah AT. yeah he had all these catchy hook driven uh you know 
themes for all of these popular TV shows, and it was like he was in every show. I guess Bear McCreary yeah. is kind of similar to that. Bear's, he's kind of doing that right now, yeah, yeah, with The Walking Dead and Battlestar, and of course his incredible performance that he turned in at the Sony press conference, which yeah. was just blew me away. That was uh, amazing, wasn't it? That was a yeah. show that was that we were all to be in that auditorium. We were privileged to have that opportunity. That was crazy. I wasn't. I I I, I um, hold my my uh, E3 experience cheap for not being there and uh, watch watching it at home. Um, but I was just amazed at at the level of production value and the level of content that is finally coming. And of course, I worked at Sony from from 2011 to 2015. Mm -hmm. I had an office in Santa Monica Studios, um, so I was familiar with a lot of those uh, games that they showed and were finally revealed but i can honestly say there were things in there that i had no idea were coming sure. and just blew me away you know they are just just going after it with everything they have and it's and it's really fun to see and watch you know a lot of colleagues hard work pay off in such a satisfying way yeah there was a tremendous amount of uh, unbelievably polished triple a uh you know explosive fun entertainment there but sony also managed to kind of tap into some really cool emotional core content and yeah. uh you know days gone yeah. was one of those things but i think the the thing that really shocked everybody was uh, uh kratos's son and the relationship that he had with him and and it was it was chillingly cool you know it was just such an amazing sort of reinvention of that franchise I, yeah I, i'm i was really really impressed and i was really impressed with the way that they they maintained the uh, let the game speak for themselves all the way through the experience. It, it was really impressive. That was the most. That was the most impressive part of all the production value was you know it, it takes a level of confidence totally to let the product speak for itself and not wrap it around um, you know marketing speaker. There was no need. Yeah. They didn't need to, and it, and it really clearly showed. You know, having as you have you know you do these presentations and. And sometimes, you know, you're 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 really pushing to get a very clear message across. And other times, you just don't. You just put it up on the screen, and you don't have to. It's mm -hmm. just so clear um, that what they have is 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 just golden. And that was definitely the case with Sony. Um, yeah, and it, really, really great to see. Yeah, because half the time in that situation, you're not just there to show a, a trailer. You're there to kind of explain, you know how you got the budget to do this great big project and yeah. in these cases they were unique enough from each other but all sort of tapping into you know the the, the addictive qualities of games that we all want but also providing kind of like an indie caliber emotional strain and i think honestly and you you must have been working at sony as uh, naughty dog was uh, putting the finishing touches on the last of us i mm -hmm. think i think that game in particular has lifted up the capabilities of the entire industry and certainly has has been an influence over at sony you can kind of feel it across a lot of their titles oh yeah i mean you know honestly my my job at sony was uh a service job mm -hmm. it was really about servicing all the different studios whatever you need um i ran a department of sound designers and uh dialogue folks for um for all the different studios for um SEEA, you know, uh, the, the American branch of Worldwide Studios. And um, that was, even though it was a service role and a lot of my job wasn't, you know, the, the sort of sexy sound design stuff that I was doing at LucasArts, 
I learned so much because I got to sit and watch the, all the different processes that the different mm -hmm. studios had. You know, Santa Monica has such a strong, unique identity. Naughty Dog has such a strong, unique identity. And I, I staffed Uncharted 3, The Last of Us, and Uncharted 4 with, uh, with sound designers for, uh, for Naughty Dog. And, you know, um, that was really more my contribution was casting brilliant sound designers and then watching them be brilliant. And I have to say, getting to watch Naughty Dog go through the making of The Last of Us um, and then into U4, you're, you're just watching a studio mature and, and just do incredible things right before your eyes. And I had a few days on the mocap stage and you just watch Neil Druckmann and you watch the actors and you just, and you watch the, uh, the backbone of Sony, you know, the, the folks that, you know, help process all the shots and run the mocap stages and all that kind of stuff. And it's such a unique company. Um, and it was really a pleasure to, to watch how all that stuff was produced. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the glory days of LucasArts because I think I sure. speak I speak for a a huge number of people out there that were devastated uh, with its closure and with the firing of so many people and the sort of uh, you know condensing and consolidating into Disney. And um, we've just seen something very similar now with Disney Infinity happen, and and mm -hmm. you know we're I, I think as longtime gamers all um, concerned about Disney's sort of commitment to bringing out awesome games based on their characters. It's great that they're doing licensing deals with Electronic Arts and it looks like EA is not going to squander mm -hmm. it. It's also great to see that Disney's uh, letting Marvel run with it too because I think that Spider-Man reveal was one of the big things of E3 mm -hmm. as well. And I yeah. can't wait for a AAA Spider-Man game again. Uh, yeah, but, from the top, yeah, great. Yeah, great fit, right? But, yeah, but LucasArts was, was a very special place. And the first question I have for you is how the hell did you keep your shit together? Because you were such a Star Wars fanboy. How did you not go in and freak out on your first sort of meetings and then sort of hold it together as you started to get, you know, more and more involved with everything in there? You know, probably just pure, um, it's funny, it's pure ambition and professionalism. I, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a certain, um, catch-22 to being a fan of this stuff because you know when I first started I was very tight-lipped about those things I, I really didn't talk about being a Star Wars fan I didn't talk mm. about any particularly at Skywalker Sound you right. know I talked about audio fidelity and I talked about great recordings and I talked about great movie mixes um, but you know the the older I got and and more established in my career I just thought well you know if you're not doing what you love why do you work in video games and of right. course I love Star Wars and then once I crossed that threshold into hosting Star Wars Celebration almost 10 years ago, and I met Star Wars fans, the, the people that really played those games, the, the satisfaction that I got out of understanding the end experience of something that I worked so hard on and had, therefore had no perspective on right. was deeply satisfying to me, and it kind of reconnected me to being a Star Wars fan in a way that seemed okay. And one nice thing I will say about LucasArts is that, you know, being a Star Wars fan was a huge asset there, right. and it wasn't ever frowned upon. In fact, I don't think it is now anywhere in Lucasfilm. Um, I think it's a huge asset. You know, someone's like, what is TIE now? It's Twin Ion Engine. That's a TIE fighter. You know, like if you know that stuff, then suddenly you get invited to meetings that you weren't invited to before. And, and that's, that's awesome. That's kind of what happened, you know, and, and eventually I was able to, you know, work a little bit on the story of, of uh, The Force Unleashed and certainly de design meetings and, you know, Republic Commando and all of that and um, eventually was writing in-game dialogue, not just for Star Wars, but for franchises like Thrillville and, uh, and uh, other games like that, which I wrote a lot of music for, um, and uh, was able to actually write 
a little bit for Force Unleashed. I mean, that was that was incredible, you know, and, and so it was a real asset. And the way you just keep yourself from freaking out, I don't know, I think you have to you have to demonstrate a level of commitment and professionalism and yeah. and uh, you know, enough trade secrets have to pass your desk successfully without leaking that after a while you just you just get used to it and that becomes your fandom in a way. You yeah, know, yeah, you, yeah. you wanna be a you wanna be a creative part of it and you want to inspire the way that inspired you as a kid or still continues to inspire you so how much was uh george lucas around while you guys were making these games i know that the force unleashed you know had huge huge numbers and i think that george actually went to the uh like the 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 12 midnight uh you know the sales events for the game or at least its sequel was yeah was he around was he paying attention was he was he participating was he was he a part of the creative at all with you guys he this is this was all above my pay grade but he definitely i had more than one um trailer that i had to mix or video that i had to finish um or demo to set up that was going to go in front of him throughout that entire time he was involved you know, I, I think that in the case of, of George Lucas, I mean, he started Lucasfilm Games in 1982 and had a strong interest in technology, just like he started Pixar, just like he started ILM in 75. He really wanted to push THX. You know, he wanted theaters to have better sound, better picture. He's amazing, he push- man. He's amazing. He's, he's, he's one of my personal heroes. Totally. Um, but what, I, what I've learned with years in perspective, I guess, away from it, you know, now that now that we're in a new era with um, Kathleen Kennedy and Disney, and I've worked at, you know, I spent years at Sony, and now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at Achille Interactive, um, is that he's one man, and yeah. he had three prequel movies to make, plus Indiana Jones, plus Red Tails, plus six and a half seasons of The Clone Wars, I mean, the guy, plus he was running the companies, you know, and the guy was doing so much and you look at how Star Wars is blown up now and they're doing five movies in five years and plus a TV show, plus everything in EA and comic books and novels and, and licensing. I mean, it's the demand is through the roof. Yeah. And I, I just don't know, you know, even in those years which are relatively quiet, I don't know how he could have been more involved without saying, you know what, I'm going to put pickup shoots for episode three on hold because I want to finish out this milestone on you know, Force yeah. Unleashed or yeah, something. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see how it could do. So, you know, you have people in place to do that. Um, but, you know, the DNA of Lucasfilm is that it's a story company and a film company. And games are, and this is really something that came into perspective to me when I was at, uh, when I was at Sony. Anyone who works in games, and certainly people who passionately play games, knows what a deep commitment it is to the process of software development. You're mm-hmm. developing software, and that means that there are so many gotchas. There's so much unexpected um, chaos that happens. Sometimes wonderful, sometimes a huge setback. And you know, really, really successful game companies iterate on their code. They iterate on their gameplay and design because giving birth to the first one is so difficult. Yeah. I think about Rockstar, the first big successful Grand Theft Auto game was GTA 3, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was their third one. Um, you know, besides Force Unleashed 2 and, and a game called Jedi Starfighter, LucasArts was trying to be, you know, Star Wars is so many different things, and it means so many different things to so many different people. And I just don't see how one internal studio can can deliver all of those things successfully, Um Especially in in this sort of modern era of uh, 
budgets that are through the roof and thousand person teams. I mean, it, it's really impossible. It's really hard, and that's. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. the risk is is astronomical now yeah. to make a triple A title like that. If it, if you're going to a studio that has a a a, a track of success re- track of success record or successful track record, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like EA Dice, right? You know they can build a battlefront. Well, that's what happened with Pandemic Studios. We yeah. knew that they could build a battlefront. You know, that's that's um, you know what happened with TT Games and Lego. We knew that they could build those things. You know, and so th- as the industry started shrinking and and co- studios started going under, y- there just were less and less options for making you know a gajillion Star Wars games. This is all my opinion. It's not Lucas's yeah. or Sony's or sure, anybody sure, else's. Sure. But Your having lived through it, in my perspective, you know, um, and. Uh, when LucasArts closed, I was watching from a distance, and I have to confess, I I was I was heartbroken. Um, you know, because they had some really good stuff in development, but I also kind of understood it after after what happened on Force Unleashed Two, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in that uh, it was a huge, huge, huge undertaking. And someone like Sony PlayStation or a game company or EA, for example has the resources and the management and the engineers and the staff and the track record to pull off big experiences. And, you know, as Jim Ward once wisely said, if it's not big, it's not Star Wars, right? Yeah. And uh, he, he was right, you know. Um, I will say that LucasArts was one of the most fantastic places I've ever worked, and I am lucky to have friends in almost every studio in the business now because of my time at Lucas and at Sony and, and – uh, the talent and the drive and, of course, Star Wars. They were wonderful times, but, you know, the, who knows what the future holds. I'm just glad that we're still have, we still have Star Wars games to play. And right. ironically, I have a lot of friends who used to be at LucasArts that are, or used to be at Sony, that are now working on those titles. And it's, yes. it's a small world, you know. It's a small, small world. A lot of, lot of ex-LucasArts employees still working on Star Wars. It, it was pretty amazing to see that EA um, video, which my friend Jade Raymond was, you know, all right. over, right? It was a very surreal. Right. It was incredible for me to see her up on stage and say, may the force be with you after all of that. Her first segment on EP was a Star Wars segment, by the way, for Republic, Republic Command. Command. Walking yeah. with Matt Schell, uh, who we were having lunch with, uh, talking yeah. about that game. So it was a very surreal thing. And you interviewed her for the Star Wars show, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not doing the Comlink anymore. The Comlink was a show that... Uh, that we, uh, my friend J.C. Reifenberg and I started mm-hmm. on, uh, on actually on Kevin Smith's uh, YouTube mm-hmm. channel. Eventually, just kind of did our own own thing because we were, you know, we were so excited about all the new Star Wars that was coming out, the comics and the the games, and of course, this was a lead up to the Force Awakens. The Star Wars show is really doing that yeah. work for us now. Yeah. You know, that's really they really are doing an incredible job, they and are. I was very. They invited me to uh, basically be a correspondent that day, and I, of course, gleefully said yes. We had done the Force Awakens premiere together. I got to do the live stream of the of the Force Awakens Hollywood premiere, and and so that they just called me back, and of course, I jumped at it. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was very happy, and I'm sure that you were too, to see the scale of the projects that EA is working on with these games. Yeah. You know, the fact that Respawn has got one coming out, which is going to be different from the Motive one, which is going to be different from the Visceral Games one. And Battlefront, yeah. I'm still playing. I just, I, oh, yeah. after this, uh, which you, are you in Battlefront as well? Do you have? Uh, I am the voice of the Celestins and Nine Numb in Battlefront. <laughs> yes. I, that is I, amazing. <laughs> I screamed in a Celestin voice and then they pitched it up a little bit more beyond that. That's um, awesome. So, can, uh, can you give yeah. us some Nine Numb? 
Oh, what did I do? It was crazy. I think I was just screaming like, "Put a tiny bit It was just like crazy <laughs> stuff for like three hours straight, you know. And then, and uh, you know, and then of course the emotes that you can unlock; those were super fun too. Doing yeah. all those, you know. Um, but yeah, that was a really fun game to be involved in. That's um, awesome. And yeah, are, 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 when you did that game, were you working with people that you had worked with before at LucasArts, or how did that all come together? No, actually, that was that was funny because a couple of well, yes, actually, because my boss Dara O'Farrell was the uh, was the the signatory on that, and he was the guy that ran the audio department at mm -hmm. LucasArts for for years, you know, and he was the voice director on classic games like Monkey Island Four, Grim Fandango, um, and uh, he is now basically, and this is what I mean. There are a lot of LucasArts people oh still gosh. working on Star Wars. They just pollinated Star Wars all over the industry, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. he was working on that, and then um, I was in another game. Uh, Mirror's Edge Catalyst, which just came out, mm -hmm. and um, that was also EA Dice. And so um, uh, my buddy Patrick Michalik, who was who was uh, was working there at the time, um, he cast me in that. And then it was just kind of this weird small world thing where suddenly I walk into the studio and there's Patrick from Dice again. So and Dara. So it was just kind of like this meeting of of worlds. But I I started recording Mirror's Edge back in I think 2014 was my first session for mm -hmm. that. Um, that turned out pretty cool. It's a good game. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not Battlefront. You know, it's not. It's not Dice's. You know, biggest high. You know, right. budget amazing experience. But it's pretty damn cool. It's super addicting game mechanic, and yeah, it's Mirror's Edge. It's a sequel to Mirror's Edge. How yeah. awesome is that? Well, you I know? just love that EA brought that and paid Dice to make it, or you know, paid for Dice to make it. And who, yeah. who was expecting a sequel? And it's actually pretty slick. You know, it's a, it runs yeah. very well. What character do you play in, in Mirror's Edge Catalyst? You know, uh, most of the characters I do um, are guards that you take out. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did a, a little bit of facial capture on it. Um, and then I played some background characters in Face Life, and I think I, you know, honestly, I lose track. I, I must have played. It was all supporting role stuff. You yeah. know, I played probably about six or ten characters, something like that, throughout the game. So, a lot of yelling, some flashbacks, things like that. That's awesome. Was Proxy yeah. your first, your first character that you saw fully realized in a video game, or had you been doing some stuff already before? The first real character, yeah. I mean, yeah. I had done. I was the voice of all the Trandoshans in Republic Commando, mm -hmm. but that's so unrecognizable because I was basically just, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. just clearing my throat, uh, you know, <laughs> for months at a time in front of a microphone and then processing it. Um, I had done a lot of aliens in Knights of the Old Republic one and two, mm -hmm. um, the Bioware and Obsidian titles, respectively, and. Uh, you know, a lot of weird grunting and growling in the Lego <laughs> indie Star Wars games. Yes. Um, but that was probably, and a lot of battle droids and things, but that was really the first real named character um, that I got to do, and and uh, and that was super, super fun. And, and you know, uh, we, we and I were talking about, before we started the stream, yeah. um, that Sam Witwer and I have, have been close for many years, and, mm -hmm. you know, he, um, he went to Juilliard with my best friend Patrick Hallahan growing up, and um, when they were at Juilliard, I just started working at Lucas, and we just uh, struck up a friendship, and that friendship continued for many years. And you know, I watched him book Battlestar and Dexter and all that stuff. And then I was trying to figure out how to get him into a Lucas Arts title for years. And then the Force Unleashed happened, and I swear to you, uh, the concept artist Amy Beth Christensen, she drew a picture that looked exactly like him. That's amazing. And so. My old boss Dara at the time said, "You know, it's a, he actually, he, you know, he I 
need to give a lot of credit for this because he said, you know, that looks like your friend Sam. And I said, I know. He said, <laughs> so I slipped his, I said, Sam, I can't tell you why, but send me your video demo and your resume. And he slipped it. I just slipped it into the pile. Didn't tell anybody I knew him. And then he showed up for the audition and, and I was reading across from everybody that auditioned at the time, which cool. is kind of one of the ways I got proxy. Right. Um, and I auditioned with him and of course called him afterwards and, and then he got the part, and I swear to you, as we were shooting it, people didn't believe that I knew him. Like, awesome. they thought I was trying to be cool, and I was like, yeah, he's my buddy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that guy's your buddy. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, he, and then, he does so, look like a walking video game character in a way, doesn't he? I mean, he, he, he does. looks like somebody drew the dude, you know? He does. He's yeah. got those very strong features and a and, uh, very dramatic-looking guy, but, you know, just the nicest, sweetest yes. guy, a huge... Huge video gamer, huge Star Wars and Star Trek fan. He um, loves all of this stuff. That's the great thing yeah. about, you know, because we've obviously had him on the show and I've, met, I, you know, met him f to, to hang out for brunch, I think, when he was at, uh, at uh, uh, a big con in, in uh, Toronto. And he's just, he's a sweet, down-to-earth dude that loves this stuff as much as us. I, I know that he's streaming games every once in a while on Twitch these days. You know, yeah, we did a Force Unleashed stream together that we still haven't finished. Oh, yeah, um, fantastic. That was really fun. Yeah, if you go to his, I think it's just uh, slash Sam Whitware, I think. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's up on Twitch. And, and um, yeah, it's it's funny because we did Force Unleashed, we did Force Unleashed 2, and then years later got to be Stormtroopers together in The Force Awakens, um, which was great. How did so that come Matthew, together? How did, how did that come together? Um, you know, Matthew Wood, who is the supervising sound editor and really, you know, who, by the way, started as a tester at LucasArts back with The Secret of Monkey Island in 1990. He's working on movies now? Yeah, so when Ben Burt, the sound designer on Star Wars, came mm -hmm. out of retirement, um, Matthew Wood was kind of picked from QA at LucasArts to basically show Ben Burt how to use computers. I mean, this is like early 90s type of stuff, right? Wow. Um, and just basically apprenticed under him as they digitized all of his sound effects. When they were doing know, the prequels. Even before the prequels. So this, yeah, um, they knew that they were going to start gearing up to do the prequels, but this was must have been early 90s. You'd oh, have to for the special editions? Probably, yeah, yes, for the special, right. definitely for the special editions, but then certainly for the prequels. And then, you know, Matthew ended up being one of the editors on on The Phantom Menace, then even more so on Attack of the Clones, and then, of course, played General Grievous, Something about sound guys playing, That's playing amazing. villains or something. <laughs> uh, poor Matty probably thinks I'm always chasing his coattails. He's like, oh, yeah, proxy. Uh, but he did General Grievous, and um, and then eventually just, you know, he did Wally -E and There Will Be Blood and, and the Star Trek movies and had a relationship with J.J. and, you know, uh, Super 8. And he's done so many movies now, and now he's just, you know, super in demand. And... Um, uh, did The Force Awakens, so we were, I think, just hanging out, a, a, you know, I don't know, a year ago or something, and he made an offhanded comment to me, and I think we were with Sam, too, at the time, and he said, yeah, when we do The Force Awakens, you know, post-production, I should bring you guys in to do some voices. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking that, you know, and sure enough, uh, last October, I got an email show up at, at Fox, and um, we have a movie that will be forcefully awakening in December, I think is what he said. So they were doing uh, all that stuff in October, and the movie was out in December? That's how late in yeah. the process it is? Holy crap. I guess, right? It's, it's a linear well, thing, right? Yeah, you know, it used to be, I think, you know, back when I was an intern at Skywalker, I remember I was a production assistant on The Haunting. Do you remember that movie? Mm -hmm. And I remember it was two weeks before it was supposed to be in theaters. And I was an intern, so I was currying visual effects from 
Phil Tippett's studio in Berkeley back to Skywalker Ranch so the picture editors could physically place the negatives into the master print Amazing. so that they could do the final print master on the mix stage so that then they could go take it to Technicolor or something to work around the clock in order for the physical prints to arrive in canisters in theaters across North America. Yeah. So it was two weeks back then. That was late 90s. So now with, you know, with digital, I mean, yeah, I, I think it needed to be ready basically for whenever the first public screening was. And uh, it was down, down to the wire, but most movies are yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Um, so that's not, not, nothing really special. But, yeah, it was in October, and about 20 of us were all in a booth. And, you know, before it started, Matt said, um, the engineer, she's been here since uh, since the late 70s, and she said this is the very room where they recorded Frank Oz for Empire to do all of his looping. Oh, my God. And we all just got chills, right? <laughs> and so, you know, and I'm there, and, you know, a lot of the Clone Wars cast is there, too. Um, you know, uh, Matt Lanter and James Arnold Taylor and Tom yeah. Kane, and, you know. We've had all those uh, guys on the show. They're awesome. Yeah, they're awesome. They're yeah, just the sweetest yeah. people. And I, you know, I knew them because I voice directed probably about four or five Clone Wars video games for LucasArts. Mm -hmm. um, and we were all there together, plus um, a lot of uh, voiceover actors, you know, in the industry and, and looping professionals. And we just screamed at the screen for, you know, nine hours one day in October. And then I showed up and I had some Stormtrooper lines in the theater. And Sam and I got to improv down the hall about... Uh, you know, TC-17s, which is like the TC-16s they talk about in the original. Well, the upgrades are terrible. And we just had this whole, we're improving lines in what is going to be one of the biggest movies of all time. And, I, and, and we're just at lunch just going, God, just pinch me right now. This is incredible. So yeah. that was really fun to just be able to have those long-lasting friendships endure, you know, from the beginning of LucasArts and still be able to be involved uh, and things, including uh, next month in in London at Star Wars Celebration. It's amazing, and it's it's incredible to see how it's all interconnected as well. You know, like you yeah. guys are all professionals learning different disciplines and working in different areas. But when it comes to telling stories, which is what you were just talking about with Lucas, it it, it kind of blends, and you have a, I think a great deal of respect across those disciplines and and for yeah. what each one of you can do. In terms of the yeah. Force Awakens, did any of that stuff end up actually on? On camera, on, on the screen, can you, can we? Look yeah, those I pieces? mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know my biggest line in the movie is I go up to Kylo Ren and I say, "What is it? I'm going to screw this up." I say, uh, "Sir, the droid was spotted heading west with a girl." <laughs> and uh, you know, says, what, what girl or something like that? Yeah, that's, uh, no, that, that's a different scene. Okay, uh, when they've run out into the woods, you know, and I just basically let him know he's out there, and then you know, the, uh, a lot of just like. Shields up, shields up, that kind of stuff, and in you know, it's all background stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. Um, and and I what does it feel like to see that? Because that I, I love that movie. I'm sure you love that movie. But what yeah. does it feel like to sit in the theater, watch that, and hear your voice come off the screen from one of the characters? It was unreal. It was unreal. <laughs> and I have to tell you that you know they were they were gracious enough to put our names in the credits. So yeah. seeing your name in blue against the black star field with John Williams playing, I. Uh, you know, I, I I may or may not have wept like <laughs> like a like a little boy. May or may not have. Um, <laughs> no, it was great. We I mean, all understand, man. Everybody yeah, watching this right now, we get it. It's Star Wars. It's yeah. it's it's uh, you know to be able to contribute to something that that was such a huge inspiration to you and now continues to be. Um, you know, I've got I've got six nieces and and taking um, one of the older ones to see The Force Awakens and watching her react to Ray was was huge. Yeah. You know. 
um, the way that I reacted to it as a kid, you know. Um, so yeah, that that stuff is 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 great. Let's talk you know? about this Force Awakens thing, you know, because there are still detractors and still there's still criticism about it, and certainly sure. it's it's not as seminal and perfect, and how could it be as the original Star Wars or even the follow-up Empire? You know, it's it just can't reach those heights. But man, did JJ have everything going against him, right? Like he had all of our doubt, and still he has he and the whole team revitalized this franchise so that we're <laughs> all curious about where they're going to take us on this ride and. We're all sitting on pins and needles, and, and you know we have high hopes, and yeah. there's, there's like a, a general positivity about where Star Wars is going to take us. That I, you know, you were at Lucas when the when the uh, prequels were coming out. And I don't think it was the same, you know. It, it, I'll tell you, the prequels were were very different. I mean, I was I spent most of the prequels working on tie-in games, mm -hmm. and um, you know saw Episode Three in, in its rough cut form, and. Uh, was lucky enough to read the script for episode two before I saw the movie. Um, you know, Force Awakens was great because it was the first movie since The Phantom Menace where, well, actually, that's not true. I thought I was going to go in cold, and then I saw the whole thing in black and white with no sound on a, on a dubbing stage. But, <laughs> but even then, you know, seeing it from there and then seeing it in the theater, I mean, I was blown away by it. I will say that, you know, J.J. Abrams has been saying the following a lot. He said it in behind-the-scenes um uh, footage, you know, on the Blu-ray of, of The Force Awakens, and he said it again at the uh, John Williams um, AFI uh, tribute that happened a couple weeks ago, which is, you know, George Lucas got so many things right. The reason why it is a modern marvel, a modern miracle, the first Star Wars, is is it is so rare to get all of those things right, yeah. every single decision right, and especially in the in the face of such insurmountable odds right i mean he really does have that rebellious spirit and he made those movies um you know movies are a product of their time and that time was screaming for you know post-vietnam was screaming for a, a, a positive uplifting oh, movie like that because yeah. of the cynicism of yes. the uh you know in the late 70s and so you know that that is true also with the force awakens and what i will say about the force awakens is they they just nailed the tone. They nailed the feel. They nailed um, the relationships. Um, the magic, you know, the, the performances. It it just it had that feeling like what I felt as a kid. And the last thing I would add to that is, um, I remember having a really interesting conversation with uh, Sam about his first Darth Maul appearance in the Clone Wars. Yeah, and the following week was his second. So in the span of a week. Uh, we watched fan opinion change pretty drastically because it was such a shock to the system when they first saw the first episode and you know he's kind of nuts and he's got spider legs and you know by the time you get to the, the an episode a week later you know it airs everyone's opinion had changed but in that week you know people you watched a lot of people panic you know because this is the Darth Maul I know yeah and eventually the Darth Maul that we got was so immensely satisfying because of all of that setup at the beginning well the reason I bring that up is because we don't know who Ray's parents are or if that even matters yeah. we don't know what eventually is going to happen with Kylo Ren we don't know what Luke Skywalker is going to say yeah you know we don't know any of those things right now and this is a very uh, brief period in our history as Star Wars fans that will be over next year when Episode Eight comes out, and, and it's stuff we can't even imagine. But all the prequel stuff, and this was what George Lucas had to contend with, and he had some very yes. clever ideas in there. But all of that prequel stuff 
We had imagined it. And there was no way that he was going to make three movies that were as good as the three movies we had made in our imaginations and, you know, even from reading classic novels and sort of piecing stuff together. There was no way. Yeah. He had it all against him. But these guys, especially this troop of unbelievable creators that, uh, that you know, Kathleen and her crew are putting together to shepherd these movies, they're at the top of their game, man. We're going we're gonna to go into some really wild places. I cannot wait. Rogue One's looking incredible. Yeah, that trailer just that trailer was awesome. Yeah. And the other thing is that Star Wars traditionally was three movies, and those three movies stood on you know pillars, yeah. you know, and they were untouchable. Now we've had seven movies and two animated shows and video games and comic books. Eventually, what'll happen with Star Star Wars, in my opinion, is the same thing that happened to Star Trek. You know, there's there's more out there than there was, and yeah. so we're not so much going to be scrutinizing every single frame maybe right. we will yeah some of us will yeah uh, but but it, it's it's a little bit i think i think we have to take a longer view i guess is my point right I mean, when you take a long view at star wars it, it really does prevent you know present a real satisfying experience i mean the prequels my my opinion of the prequels has has changed over the years and that you know i i kind of understand what george was trying to do and mm-hmm. he actually kind of he kind of told us, I'm making true prequels, and I'm world-building here. I don't want to do what I already did over again. Yeah. And I think the common mistake that fans, that we as fans can make is to assume that he just doesn't see it. Yeah. You know, that, or that he forgot how. He didn't forget how. He just wasn't interested in doing that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right? And that's his, that's his M.O. I mean, that's what he does. He, he does That's what he himself. always did. Yeah, totally. And it, you go back and watch Return of the Jedi. I remember watching Return of the Jedi at the... Um, 30th anniversary screening in 2013 and the guy says you rebel scum and i'm thinking you know i was so young when this movie came out and i love every frame of it had i been 12 i don't know what i would have thought of ewoks yeah. maybe i would have and and you know people who are you know in their 50s that say oh, i saw return of the jedi as a teenager it wasn't nearly as good as the first two yeah but i love them and you yeah. start going well actually jedi's not that different from the phantom menace yeah, it, it it feels like it is, but you know, because you have all these different characters, but in you tone can see and, and sort of the kid-friendly kind of qualities of it. And I, I do believe that Lucas did shift and transition to try to make stuff that was going to appeal to a whole family, and it started, yeah. I think, with Jedi, because Star Wars and, and Empire pretty dark in some places and pretty heavy in some places. And uh, I'm, I, well, I was a kid and saw Star Wars in the theater, and I was scared to go because the ads with Darth Vader and Chewbacca were freaking me out, you know. And then I went and it changed my life. Uh, but I, you know, I think Return of the Jedi was a little bit more accessible because of the Ewoks. It got a little bit more silly. And I think having the, the focus on children and, and uh, Jar Jar and all that stuff in the, in the prequel movies was an obvious, deliberate attempt to kind of, you know, bring more families together because... Lucas had, I think, wisely uh, sort of accepted that this was not just for a demographic. This this was for everybody. This yeah. is for the entire planet. And I, and you that, know, I, JJ picked up that baton wonderfully. I think with the new one. I think so, and I think that our opinion of the Force Awakens will will evolve over the years. Yeah. You know, is kind of what I was was getting at earlier. Is that you know what you think about it in 2016 will not be the same thing that you think about right. it after you've seen all three films, right. you know, seven, eight, and nine. And I and you know the setup work that they had to do, 
you know, and anytime you're working on a script and you're working on story, you know, uh, for those of you listening there and watching that, that, you know, deal with story and, and creative writing, exposition, explaining the world and the plot is always the hardest part. It's so boring for an audience to sit through. So your job is to think of creative ways to get through it. The Force Awakens, I didn't even feel the exposition. Yeah. It just felt like a wild ride, you know. But yet they had all this work to study to 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 establish with the First Order and the Resistance and Kylo Ren and Jakku and Rey and introduced Finn and and all their stories and characters. Created a lot of mystery too, which I think was incredibly effective. Like what the hell happened? Yeah. The one thing that I have about Star Wars, the one question, it's it's the root of its name is like, is it is it just perpetual war? In this galaxy, like, is are are they always just going to fight? Is this just going to go on and on and on? Will there ever be peace? I guess Star Peace wouldn't sell tickets, but it just feels like, man, these these poor citizens of these planets just cannot get along. Well, you know, I think the the closest thing we had to Star Peace was the beginning of the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the, was the you know trade routes are in dispute and taxation, which is a big deal because economies go down and people starve, and you know. Uh, um, that that started out as sort of a pedestrian feeling thing that didn't feel like Star Wars, and and again with the prequels, George starts in this is what peacetime looks like. Now watch it totally crumble into chaos right. over three movies. Right. He takes the innocent little kid, um, and basically turns him into the the, most the mo- evil monster. Yeah, yeah. creature. That's a very there. it's a very daring thing to do. You know, it's. He was more interested in the in the macro than in you know than in the 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 momentary storytelling and sure. you know it falls under criticism for that and I, I certainly understand I guess but but you know the older I get the more I kind of see the long view of, of right. Star Wars and I appreciate what he did as a as a creative yeah, totally and you know even if you fault him for some casting and some character stuff I mean the uh, the he's just a badass you know he's just gone off and done what he's wanted to do you know and. Even selling to Disney, I'm sure he could have just held out and said, "Nope, it's going to be fifty billion, you know." And they probably would have yeah. had to get the money together to do it. But it's just like, "Yeah, I'm done. You guys do this." Yeah, you yeah, t- go you ahead. And it. then he puts one of the most legendary producers of all time, Kathleen Kennedy, in charge of the company. You know, awesome. we would have no ET without Amblin Entertainment and and you know Marshall, Ke- the Marshall Kennedy producing team. We would have no Indiana Jones. We would have no Jurassic Park. We wouldn't have any of these great things. And, you know, they all are part of the same creative conversation. We started by talking about John Williams, and I think about all of these folks that have given us literally decades of cutting-edge entertainment yeah. and the best, and they're continuing that tradition. I mean, and you talked about George, and one of the reasons why he's my personal hero is, you're right, it's not just Star Wars. It's also that he started ILM, and without ILM, there would be no even classic Star Trek movies with the original cast. There would, you know, in terms of visual Dude, effects, there would Dude be no dinosaurs. Editing. I mean, he created, he created what eventually became Avid and yeah. Pro Tools. He created We, we wouldn't be here being able to do what we have done and grow, and I, I doubt we'd have this, you know, this streaming technology and streaming capabilities without thinking about digitally bringing all of this content in and finding, you know, easier ways to disseminate it. And yeah, he's a, he's a brilliant, amazing yeah. human being. And I think, I think what we're kind of discovering in this conversation, because it's turned into a George Lucas love fest, which I'm totally cool <laughs> with, is that he also was smart enough to really surround himself with the best people in the world over yeah. and over and over again. And that, you know, that just kept growing and growing and that circle widening and that common love. And I think Star Wars is that beating heart, you know, like people 
just love this franchise and this property. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing at Star Wars Celebration. How many Star Wars celebrations have you been to? Uh, the first one I went to was was for Revenge of the Sith in 2005. The first one that I hosted a stage on was almost 10 years ago in 2007. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I don't know. Um, this will be your 10th one? Do, do, they I don't, don't happen it, every year, though, right? They don't happen every every year, although this is the second year in a row where there's one. Um, They'll happen and, every uh, year from now on. I hope so. <laughs> yes. I hope so. But I've been I've been to a lot, and I've hosted since 2007, I think, uh, four or four five or six of them um and uh it's three or four in this case it's three days of talking about comics and games and and movies and sounds like talking a total to folks drag. Star Wars. just it's it, awesome <laughs> and you meet you meet really incredible passionate people that come to this come to these things from all over the world i i did uh celebration in germany uh three years ago and you know meeting the the, the crowd in germany was so cool um Orlando, Florida, you know, recently um, had, you know, a string of horrible tragedies. That's unreal, yeah. um, I've been down there multiple times, and I will tell you that you see some of the sweetest, like, coolest people, uh, who, Star Wars fans, anywhere in, in, in North America. I mean, you know, there's great, great people um, all throughout uh, all, all the different places I've ha had celebration. And, um, will this be you know, the that's first really the best one in part. London? The one that's this coming was up? my first one in London. They they did one in 2007, and I couldn't go. I think because of E3 that year, and okay. my Force Force Unleashed schedule prevented me from going. But um, there was one in London in 2007, um, so it's technically the third one in Europe. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be three days um, in mid July um, in London, just talking about Star Wars. And uh, Warwick Davis is hosting the main stage, and then I'm hosting. Uh, Hosting what's called the Galaxy Stage, which will have a lot of cool content. We haven't announced our panels yet, uh, but we will soon at mm -hmm. uh, StarWarsCelebration.com. And um, and then Amy Ratcliffe, who's a writer and, and frequent contributor and, and my co-host on the Comlink, um, she's going to be hosting a stage as well. So it's just going to be a big big party for a week in London. And then I'm I'm playing uh, playing guitar and drums with a Star Wars cover band. What? And uh, yes, and and Darth Elvis and. Uh, and a to be named, a to be named uh, a headliner um, at a gig called uh, uh, hashtag Cantina or the hashtag This Is Cantina yeah. um, at the uh, at the O2 uh, Brooklyn Bowl on that Thursday night before that. So awesome. people just come into town like Star Wars fans coming to town, and it's not like Comic Con. It's all geared towards Star Wars, it's, right? And so it's about the fan. I mean, we've covered the events before, and it isn't like uh, Comic Con or E3. It's really, it's not press stuff. There is some press to cover around the whole event, but it's not like, let's go and get tons of interviews and there's lots of stories all over. You kind of have to kind of chase through and find that kind of stuff, but it's not as orchestrated as E3 or Comic-Con. These events are for everybody to come in and celebrate, as the name implies, yeah. their, their mutual love of this. Who have you met in the Star? You know, obviously you've you've met George and, and Ben Burt and the people yeah. that actually worked at, uh, at Skywalker, but... In terms yeah. of uh, actors and celebrities, and and what has this uh, close affiliation with with this brand allowed you to 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 kind of enjoy along the way? Uh, you know, I've done um, I've done interviews with uh, well everyone from the main cast, the original cast, except for Harrison Ford. Mm. So uh, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Anthony Daniels, um, you know Peter Mayhew. 
Warwick Davis, um, I, pretty much all of them. A lot of the, uh, you know, I've, I've met a lot of the officers. I've met Billy a lot of the volunteers. Williams. Billy D. I did, I did an interview. I did my first interview with Billy D. actually on the red carpet for the Force Awakens premiere. Right on. Um, he was great. And, um, and I, uh, I got to uh, chat with, um, briefly chat with, uh, with Greg Grunberg, who plays Snap Wexley, the X-Wing pilot yep. in Force Awakens. Um, you know, but haven't really had a chance to sit down with with the new cast. Um, I would I would be thrilled to do that. Um, a lot of people behind the scenes, of course. You know, John Knoll and and um, uh, the fo- good folks at ILM, Skywalker Sound. Um, it is my dream to one day get to interview John Williams. I hope we can make it happen because yeah. that's another one of my just personal heroes. Obviously, as I said at the beginning of this stream. Does he do a lot um, of interviews? He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. I guess he's so, he's busy making awesome music all the time, right? This is the awesome guy that doesn't stop, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, just a lot of people uh, throughout the years and and in the prequels. Probably one of my most interesting stories was flying to New Zealand to record Tamora Morrison as Boss, the player character for Star Wars: Republic Commando. Mm. Um, he was so generous with his time. And then afterwards, he was like, "Well, hey, let's go, uh, let's go grab dinner." And hey, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a show in town. Let's go do that. You know, and we end, I ended up hanging out with him for a week. Um, I think the dog. I have a dog, and he's oh, hearing something. That, uh, in case good. you're wondering what that is. That's all good. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so that was a really great experience going down there. Um, and so that'll continue at celebration. I'll have some special guests on the stage, and 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 have hopefully you met- get to. Or talked with J.J. Uh, Abrams or, or the new uh, creators behind the camera yet? No? No. No. no well, the, I mean, the, the amazing thing is that they're shooting in London, right? Uh, are, they, are they wrapped on episode eight already? I don't know. Okay. I actually have no idea. I'm I sure. wish I was that plugged in. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a few surprises based around all that. Yeah. Because they're, yeah. they're building right around there. Okay. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot of Star the Star Wars territory. Talked a lot about all of this stuff. I, I definitely want to find out what you're working on now and what's what are, you yes. know, other kinds of projects in the David Collins world. But Blake, sure. are there any questions or any comments or anything like that from uh, people uh, watching? Yeah, I can hear you. Last Disciple wants to know if you've acted in the uh, Star Wars Rebels TV show. Uh, no, I've auditioned a few times, um, but so far uh, that hasn't happened. Charlie, my dog is like barking at something like that. He's like, "Yeah, put David in Star Wars Rebel." <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've, I I try not to bug. I've done so many panels with Dave Filoni over the years. Yeah, and I really try not to cross that line of like, "Hey, man, you got to put me in the show." Yeah, I would I would kill to do it. I watch it every uh, every every week, obviously. It's a great show. He must. Yeah, um, and. Um, he's that whole team is just so great and uh i certainly have a lot of friends on that show uh one of these days if something's right and i'm right for it then you know who knows maybe fingers crossed that'll happen awesome who'd you play did you were you on the clone Wars show uh no i think the closest i came to that was being on the blu-ray doing my hosting gig that's cool. um, i was in a lot of clone wars video games i think at one point i did uh, battle droids and star wars republic star wars the clone wars republic heroes yeah um, you know, I I even played General Grievous once in a in a game, and and Darth Maul actually in uh, in Force Unleashed. Um, but uh, but no, not Clone Wars and not not Rebels. Um, I did the Force Awakens, um, and uh, I've been working on other stuff. I've been lucky enough to since I moved here to LA to get cast 
in smaller parts in some animated series. I'm sorry, my dog is just cracking me up. Oh, it's up. okay. It's all good. If, can, you, I don't, can you guys hear that? Yes, but it's totally yeah. cool. We've had oh, uh, we've had babies and all kinds of We've had whole families come in and intrude oh, on good. interviews, so it's good. Well, this, we're, I'll bring him on. I'll bring him on screen towards the end. You know, okay. But so. It's so hot out. He Every time he sees another dog, he starts crying. and <laughs> uh, He's concerned. Yeah, but it's so hot out right now that I've been lucky. He hasn't heard anything up until now. No. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I've been working on some animated stuff uh, here in L.A., just here and there. Um, probably the biggest thing that I'm, I'm, I'm working on right now and the thing that I am most excited about is that I am, uh, I'm working on a project for a medical device company. Mm -hmm. And this is... This goes back to what I was saying um, about people from LucasArts and what George Lucas built suddenly plugging in in different ways. And um, basically, there's a, a company called Achille Interactive um, that is um, making a medical device to um, basically diagnose and, and potentially treat uh, ADHD. Mm -hmm. They a project called Project Evo, which is... Uh, currently in phase three testing with the FDA mm -hmm. to basically you be used as a medical device to treat ADHD, you know, and, um, there are a lot of applications, but basically there was a, a neuroscientist named, uh, Dr. Adam Ghazali who, oh, that's what it is. My wife got home. So, ah. he was seeing, well, <laughs> uh, so uh, Dr. Ghazali, um, from UCSF basically created a game called NeuroRacer that used this thing called, uh, uh, interference training, which is it forces your brain. It was kind of a racing game uh, on an iPad, and it forces your brain to multitask. And you can, it turns out, you know, really target. Um, you can really target uh, whatever kind of interference is going on, um, and uh, and really flex it, and you know, work it like a muscle. And that's basically what Achille is doing. Um, there's a whole team, and it's you know just so above my. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, obviously. I, I have a history in game development, but what there, there's a whole team out in Boston that has basically looked to um, the game development discipline to make this medical device. And so I've been writing. I wrote a whole orchestral score for it. Been writing the story for it, doing sound design. That's amazing. And um, so th this I mean, will go to patients, or will this go to gamers to understand a little bit more about what people are going, through, or both? It'll go to um, it. I, it could go to both, but you know, really, the idea is that to put it in the hands of patients. Yeah. You know, it's, in, it's been in clinical trials. It is continuing to be in clinical trials. The Unreal. thing about Achille and Achille Interactive, and if people are interested, they can go to AchilleInteractive.com. It's yeah. A K I L I Interactive.com. Mm -hmm. And you know, they the 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 mission of the company is to really make it the most legitimate, most trusted, and most effective. Um, medical device as possible it feels like a video game but that's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down right, right so right. that's kind of what we do but on the boston side of the company their job is to basically work with the medical industry to basically bring this new form of digital medicine to the market and to patients specifically and um it's been really really exciting to work on and um the nice thing about that is that um you know it was started uh by my good friend matt omernick who was the lead artist on star wars the force unleashed mm -hmm. and adam piper who was one of the designers and programmers and and they started it um you know with uh with the good folks in boston at pure tech and and um you know out of his friendship with the neuroscientists at ucsf so it's like this whole like years in the making process to suddenly see you know the game discipline enter the, the medical space has just been mind-blowing to me and well, what I, an opportunity i believe in games as therapy in a big way i think that's a, a fantastic yeah. 
What a fantastic endeavor. Yeah, so let's get it. Let's get it. Uh, you know, certified and and uh, routed through the through the FDA, and let's get it uh, to be as legitimate a- an option for treatment as possible. I mean, that's really been uh, the exciting thing to watch. And uh, it's funny. I was at the X Tech conference, which was at the Metron in San Francisco, mm-hmm. with Achille a few weeks ago, and I saw um, Shuhei Yoshida walking around. Right. He's the president of Worldwide Studios. For Sony. For Sony, right? Yeah. So normally when you, when he walks around the booth or the floor at E3 or GDC, he's going to be like mobbed if he's not, you know, escorted from place to place. But at this neuro gaming conference, he was just kind of walking around, you know, and really taking it in. And it was this real understanding to me that this is a an exciting new, you know, cutting edge space for um, game developers like me to work in, you know, to be able to work in the medical device space like this. And yeah. You know that's that's really exciting. So who knows what the future holds, but um, but uh, we we feel good about it. As you should, man. I mean, we can talk forever, and I think that yeah. <laughs> I think that we definitely have to do this again very yeah. soon because uh, there's so much cool stuff going on. And as I said to everybody, it's impossible to encapsulate all the cool things that you're working on. You must feel incredibly blessed to be able to have all of these different experiences you know come through your life like that it's uh i talk to tons and tons of people and a lot of folks get sort of they have great jobs and great projects and stuff that they're working on but so many of them just rely are really focused on them being on something for many 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 years and i think this uh you know, because I can certainly attest to that too. I've had a lot of different crazy opportunities as well in my line of work. It's incredible to just have these different options like this happen all the time, right? Yeah, you know, I um, I feel so lucky, and I I don't take one moment of it for granted. And um, I hope that I continue to earn my place in in being a part of these small, you know, even a small part of, of some of these great projects. I, um, I'm so happy that, uh, I, you know, I get to do what I'm doing in Achille. I'm so happy for the years of, of Star Wars games and, and still getting to work with Lucasfilm this summer at Celebration, my years at Sony, getting a chance to talk to you, and just having an opportunity to just talk and discuss all this stuff that we love. And, and um, you know, and I think, that, uh, I think that entertainment is extremely important, and, I, you know, I think it's important to people's, um, you know, the overall happiness, and I think it. You know, it, you, you need to. I, I think it's great to to basically know other people in entertainment that are so like enthusiastic and personally invested right. in it, and, right. and I think that's why you and I are friends. And and uh, you know, um, I hope we see even more cool stuff in the future. And uh, you know, uh, I'm sure we will, and hopefully, both be here to talk about it. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, I definitely want to orchestrate that again. And listen, if you've got. Uh, other questions actually Blake before we go is are there any other questions that uh, yeah, okay let's hear some Al Bunk wants to know who has been your favorite character to voice in your career so far mm. boy um, you know I, I would have to say Han Solo and and it's just because it was such a it was such a um, 
if you have Star Wars Commander, I played Han Solo on Star Wars Commander. Um, I've done a little bit on other projects here and there. Um, certainly, it, uh, I did some radio dramas at Celebration where you know I I, I played Han Solo, and that's awesome. Um, that was just like a dream come true. Do, you do a Harrison Ford impression like that uh, that kid that was in that uh, Adelaide movie, or uh, I don't really look like him, but I you know I think I just started going. Never tell me the odds, you know that that kind of stuff, and <laughs> that's and, awesome. And it, and it just, you know, especially when he gets cross and he starts yelling, I think that's all how, how it all started. I was doing temp for uh, Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings back yeah. in 2008 or nine. Right. Um, and eventually uh, did some radio drama stuff, some podcasts, and people saw it. And it just kind of kept taking off. And, you know, especially first thing in the morning, you know, yeah. I can really, really cross. And, I really and need so, some coffee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I really need some coffee. Yeah. Um, but uh, but um, that was really fun. Proxy was great because it just kicked off so many different things. Um, played a really crazy character in God of War Ascension called Caster the Prophet, which was just insane. So getting to act with T.C. Carson as Kratos was great. Um, I don't know. I just There's a lot. Um, there's, there's some stuff that I've already recorded that I, I can't quite talk about that I'm really excited about that's coming up. Awesome. Uh, so hopefully I'll have a different answer next time we talk. Well, that will be the... Uh what precipitates us getting together again on this podcast for sure. But let's go with one last question, Blake. Okay, uh, Ian Muto wants to know, will there ever be a Star Wars celebration in Canada? Ian Muto wants to know, will there ever be, good question, Ian, uh, a Star Wars celebration in Canada? I hope so. Yeah. I, I hope so. Now, whereabouts? You, like you're thinking Vancouver? Or I think Vancouver th would be a perfect yeah. place to have one of those. But I know a lot of people watching would love Toronto because it's the yeah, center yeah. of the universe in Canada. Right, 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 yeah. Um, well, how about both? Yeah. Um, I hope so. I, I would love that. I, I want to see, uh, you know, I'm just glad that uh, Celebration is now in its second year in a row. Yeah. I hope that that means that we'll see more Celebrations um, in different parts of North America and, and different parts of the world as well, you know. Um, there was once a Celebration in Japan back in 2008, I believe. Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, we should definitely take that into consideration. I wish I had the power to say, but it's not up to me. <laughs> <laughs> All you can do is whisper one, in people's ears. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, are you going to be at Comic-Con? So, no, Comic-Con is actually the following, this will be the first time I haven't been at Comic-Con in a few years, but Comic-Con is the following week. And so my wife and I have decided to turn celebration into a little European vacation. Oh, good for you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be playing Chevy Chase and no, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> No, but we're gonna we're gonna basically take a vacation and decided to just stay uh, stay in in Europe um, for another week after celebration. And uh, normally she works Comic Con and I work Comic Con, but yeah. uh, not this year. Maybe next year. Well, that sounds like a great plan, David. Have an awesome time. I probably won't get a chance to talk with you before Star Wars Celebration, but uh, have an awesome time there. And thank you so much for being in Vic's basement. This has uh, been a great thrill for me. Uh, you're a great dude, and uh, oh, you know it's clear, and I think everybody that's watched this can understand why you have been so busy and had so many cool opportunities. You deserve every single one of them, my friend. Thank you. Well, thank, you. thank you for being on Vic's Basement. Thanks so much, Victor. I really appreciate it, and thanks to everyone that's watching and listening. All right. All right, guys. We'll be back again very soon with a brand-new Vic's Basement. Thanks for watching, everybody. And don't forget Stitcher. You can